in a series this year, uh, teaching living the extraordinarily blessed life is, I think, really important. And to get there, to get to this place, I'm actually in a series right now entitled Planted, Fruitful, and Flourishing. And there are many people who are not living the extraordinarily blessed life. They just simply aren't seeing that in any area of their life. Um, they're not even living a blessed life. I would even say that many believers are not necessarily experiencing blessings in, of God in their life to the degree that God wishes that they could experience them. Before I'm done with this, and I'll finish this up next Sunday, I'm going to show you that God actually intends for that to be the case in your life, that you live an extraordinarily blessed life. But I'm in a series right now moving in that direction that I'm entitled Planted, Fruitful, and Flourishing. And many people are in trouble in their marriages. It's a sad statistic that there are as many failed marriages in the church as out of it. Their finances are a mess. Their health is challenged and they are stressed to the max. And rather than living a life that is extraordinarily blessed, they're more like the guy who was sent by his wife to buy organic vegetables down at the market. Pete and Harry were talking one day, and, and Pete said, my wife asked me to, some, to buy some organic vegetables from the market. And uh, Harry asked, were you able to find some? And so Pete said, well, when I got to the market, I told the gardener, these vegetables are for my wife. And um, he said, um, we haven't had the best relationship. He was talking to another buddy, and the gardener had overheard him saying all of that. So he said, these vegetables are for my wife. And he said, have they been sprayed with any poisonous chemicals? Because she said, to be sure, I got organic vegetables. And the gardener, overhearing the conversation about how bad his marriage was, said, no, sir, you'll have to do that yourself. Amen. Well, that, unfortunately, is pretty much where many marriages, a lot of finances, and a lot of other personal aspects of even believers' lives are at. Our text is Psalms 1, verses 1 through 4. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Once again, these incredibly descriptive word pictures, tree planted by the rivers of water, as opposed to chaff, which is the stalk that is broken from the grain that has been harvested, and the former jabs his pitchfork into this chaff, throws it up in the air, and the wind, which is always blowing at that time of the year, catches the chaff and blows it off the threshing floor. One is the picture of an incredibly rooted individual who is extremely fruitful, the other is the picture of someone who is not rooted, whose life has no more value than to be thrown away. Note that this man who delights in God's word is promised that he will not just be blessed. This is important also. 
And in that day and age, uh, many people here in the South don't look at rain as a blessing. Oh, it's raining today. Uh, that kind of a thing. Oh, I wanted to mow the yard, but it's raining. Or I was going to start painting the house, but it's raining. I don't know if you know this, but in much of the rest of the world, when it rains, they say that is a blessing. For example, if it rains on an important day in your life, the day you're married, the day you have a child, any number of things like that, you start a business. In Africa, they say that's a sign of God's favor and blessing upon what's happening right now. That's because not everybody gets the same amount of rainfall we do here in southeast Texas. And so in the Middle East where Jesus is, is ministering and where these verses of Scripture have contextual application, the people there understood that environment, what Jesus is, what the Word of God is, is, is teaching us and what the psalmist David is saying is that you can be like a tree planted over here in the desert and you need rain and it can rain every once in a while and you can get blessed or you can be this guy that's planted by the river whose roots go down into the water and you don't need rain. You don't need rain because you've always got the source right there and that's extraordinarily blessed. So you're not just blessed, you're extraordinarily blessed. Galatians 5, 19 through 26, Paul writes and says, The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. And he goes on, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you before, just as I also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Count them. There are nine of them. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want to speak today from this subject. This is week four of the series that I have just made reference to, Planted, Fruitful, and Flourishing. Today's subject is simply this, the purpose of fruitfulness, the purpose of fruitfulness. Father, speak to us and let your word talk to our hearts in that special way that in, accompanied by the anointing of your Holy Spirit causes your word to penetrate deep beyond our conscious thought and take up residence within us. And Lord, let it be fruitful there and bring about the transformation. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And we hunger for your bread today in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God both intends and desires for your life to be blessed and fruitful. You may not believe that because common thought is God wants to bless others, but not so sure about you, right? Fruitfulness is actually the normative state of everything God made. In fact, I am actually daring to consider with you the proposition that God not only wants to bless and make you fruitful, but He actually wants you to be extraordinarily blessed and fruitful. 
Fruitfulness serves a purpose in advancing the kingdom of God. We often, in reading the Bible, only look at it from our egocentric or self-centered perspective as to how does this affect me? What is this going to do for me? And what's this going to cause to happen in my life or in the lives of my family members? And while that is an important consideration, I think that we oftentimes fail to get a totality of understanding. We fail to really comprehend all that God says because we should also seek to hear what he's saying and, and understand it from his perspective, not just ours. What are his ways? What is his heart like? Why does God say this or say that? Say this should be off limits, that should not. Why is it that God takes positions like that? And some people feel like God just kind of threw up ideas into the air and they fell to the ground and some fell on one side and some on the other. And on one side it was righteous and the other side not so. That really isn't the way this works. God is omniscient. And God sees the ending from the beginning and knows how something will finish before the first step in the process ever is taken. And he loves us so much that he comes back to tell us, don't do this because this is what I see 10 steps down the road if you take this one step right here. It's not a matter of, of him saying with austerity, I don't want you to do that. I'm boss and don't you ever forget it. I'm God. And until I die, I'm going to be telling you what to do. That's not God's attitude. God is motivated by love. Amen. And if we can understand what he's saying, then it makes a lot of things make sense. For example, in Genesis 1, 11 through 13, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the third day. Did you get that? That when he made vegetative and plant life, he gave it the ability to bring forth seed in itself. Fruit trees contain seed, he said. Herbs, seed, and that is how they reproduce and it was on the third creative day. Many people think that God did all of that, gave trees and fruit and herbs so that man could live and have something to eat. And the truth of the matter is that when God created flora and all of these things and even fauna, that man had not yet even been created and would not be in the case of vegetative matter for yet three more creative days. You say, well, that's only, you know, three days, 72 uh, hours or something like that. Uh, I, that's not long. No, wait a minute. When you read that these creative days don't fall into the trap of thinking the Bible measures time the way that we measure time. We don't know if these creative days were 24 hours. They could have been or a season because the Bible uses day to represent all of these things. Or it even could have been an era lasting many thousands of years, even tens of thousands of years. 
Words or terms that have to do with the passage of time are especially imprecise if they attempt to measure the activities of a God who lives outside of time in eternity. Oh, I need somebody to say amen. And while 24 hours may mean 24 hours to me and you, or a day may mean exactly 24 hours, you've got to realize that God existed before eternity began. He was, if you can imagine such a thing, and certainly before time began, and he'll still be here after time is finished. So time is therefore a parenthetical insertion into eternity given for the purpose of manifesting what God in eternity has declared is the way things are. Might not look like it right now, just wait a little while. It will manifest what he in eternity has decreed is so. And so when you talk about God, you're not talking about someone who lives within time. And when you say a day, it means strictly 24 hours. You can't measure God's passage of time. There are no clocks on the wall. You can't wind a watch up long enough to outlast him. You hear what I'm saying? And so 1 Peter 3 and 8 says, With the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And I know some, and even scholars, theologians, who want to take that strictly the way it is written and literally, meaning that each one of those creative days lasted a thousand years. No, they don't understand the Jewish mindset that is using this as a, a descriptive term to, to mean that God's way of looking at time is so different from man's. It's like what you think is, is a thousand years, God said, that's just a day to me. He didn't mean it literally that you could actually count that in so many years of, of time going by. And, and this is important, and it's necessary that I say this, because when God did create man on the sixth creative day, we don't even know how many years had passed according to the way we measure the passage of time from the time he created vegetative life. This is why there's a debate in schools, and some people ridicule Christians. Oh, you believe God created the world just 6,000 years ago, six days? No, uh-uh, listen, you don't know how long those creative days were. And people say, well, what about dinosaurs? Well, they found them, amen. So that means to me there must have been something out there. Uh, I need a better amen right there. It wasn't until the sixth creative day that God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And then in verse 29, and God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose tree yields seed, to fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. What you need to understand is that when God created things that had seed and fruit, that he was creating them for the purpose of giving them a mechanism, a delivery vehicle for the propagation of the species. Man hadn't even come around yet. Oh, I need an amen. 
Fruit was actually designed by God as a way for vegetative and plant life he had created to perpetuate itself beyond creation. Mm. Think about it. Without these, all life that God created would have died at some point and become extinct once the first generation of its species had died. And thus what we commonly call fruit that various species of trees bear is actually their delivery system, their reproductive system contained inside the apple or the peach or the pear or the grapes. There are seeds that produce a new crop of what it is that produce them. And because the tree is grounded in one place, and I'm talking today about the purpose of fruitfulness, amen. Because the tree is grounded in one place, it has both incredible potential, and at the same time, it must overcome and confront considerable challenges for it to continue to thrive. Due to it being planted, a word I've emphasized in this series, it can produce much, much more fruit than it could, say, if it was that little bonsai tree, bonsai tree that I showed you a few weeks ago with that one little bitty apple growing growing on it, tree 12, 18 inches tall, very same variety as those from the state of Washington that produce over 1,200 apples per tree a year. And, and you look at it, you think, well, that was just a new little tree. No, I don't know if you noticed its trunk or not, but it was that big around. That thing had grown and was at least 30 years old. And you saw it just that tall. The reason was they kept uprooting it, as I pointed out. A tree that is planted has an incredible advantage and that its potential is multiplied many times over because it is rooted and it has developed a root system that can support its increased fruitfulness. That's why God wants you planted in life. Amen. But it also presents a problem. Since it cannot move and it is in one place, it has to overcome the challenge of distributing its seeds. You hear me now? It does that by coating the seeds with something that is colorful, that smells good, it is attractive, and it is edible. Their fruit is attractive to other living things and as food. Birds, animals, and people eat the fruit and then carry the seeds away where they will grow grow elsewhere. It's absolutely fascinating to look at how God designed this. An apple can be grown in the state of Washington and harvested, put into a crate and shipped overnight down to Atlanta, Georgia, and a mama can buy it on her Thursday afternoon grocery shopping day, bring it home and her little boy eat it on Saturday, and then throw the discarded core of the apple down and a bird pick it up, fly off and drop the seed somewhere, and 2,500 miles away, a new tree starts growing. Amen. Oh, that is unbelievable. Oh, somebody say amen right now. And that's their delivery mechanism, their reproductive mechanism. How seeds can spread the growth of new life among vegetative and fruit trees is an incredible picture of how God actually intends for the message of the gospel to be carried to all of the world by believers. 
We always think we got to go cold calling and knocking on doors and witnessing to people that don't want to hear us. Look, the key for our fruitfulness and the key to reproducing believers is when they see the fruit in our lives and they're attracted to what they see going on inside of us. The seed for the growth of God's kingdom is the fruit of those who are a part of God's kingdom. Fruitfulness generally is understood to refer to one of three things in the lives of believers. The scripture mentions three different things that it calls fruitfulness. One is the degree of blessing that exists upon our lives in sharp and marked contrast to the absence of blessing upon the lives of non-believers. This is what the scripture means in the first four verses of Psalms chapter 1 that I read, when it juxtapositions our level of blessing and compares it to those unsaved. We're like a tree planted by a river. And this is what God said, whatever we do will prosper. Hmm. There's a level of blessing where everything you do prospers and you can't help it. I need a better amen right there. I'm not just talking about hit and miss like it is with most of us. You know what I'm, I mean? Some of us, a few things are blessed and the rest not so much. God said there's actually a state beyond just being blessed that's called extraordinarily blessed where everything you do prospers. Everything is blessed. Amen. And, 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 and then he, he compares that to the chaff that I gave you a word picture of a while ago that's drifting away, carried in the wind, has no desirability, and people don't want it. It gets in the way. And so there is the degree of blessing that exists upon our lives. Secondly, fruit is a reference to our works. Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. Amen. Whether good or bad, uh, and how we should hear the word is what determines whether fruit is good or bad and what we do with it once we have heard it. And so when we hear preaching, it was not designed, never was meant to be, are you listening to me, entertainment. It was supposed to change you. You were supposed to walk out of there saying, mm, that kind of hit me. I need to do some changing in my life. And and not walk out of there feeling all like, oh, okay, uh, you know, a good message, Pastor, great sermon. Let me go down to the lubies right now. Uh, that wasn't the way it was supposed to work. Peter said in 1 Peter 1 and 23, we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. It is that seed growing in our lives that cracks open our stony heart and new life begins to develop within us. And so one type of fruitfulness is your blessing. The second type of fruitfulness is your works. People look at a world and see a world going crazy with lasciviousness and and insane over everything that's not righteous. And they look at you and see your works are different than that. And then the third reference to fruitfulness as mentioned in Scripture is to the fruit of the Spirit that grows within the lives of believers. And this mainly refers now to our attitudes or the intangible 
inter, inner qualities that set Christians apart from unbelievers. That is our joy, our peace, our love, our faithfulness, our self-control, and so forth. And I'm not saying, ladies and gentlemen, that we're all there yet. One of the things I learned years ago is, is it takes a lifetime to become a, a, a saint of God. Amen. I heard an old preacher preach that many years ago. He referenced Enoch. And what, how long did Enoch live? 360, what was it, eight years and was translated? And that old preacher said it takes a lifetime to make a saint. He said, I meet people that every year they're a little sweeter and a little closer to God, and a little more like Christ. And he said, we don't live to be that old anymore. If we did, we'd still see some folk getting translated today. Mm, that blessed me. Yeah, tell somebody the grace of God's at work in my life right now. And here's what's supposed to happen. Those who are not saved see our level of blessing. They see the transformation the Word has caused within us. We used to be nightclubbing and drinking and doing all the craziness. And now all of that suddenly stopped in divorce courts. And our marriage is happy now. And they see the fruit of the Spirit that grows within us. That in turn creates a hunger in them for what we have going on in our life. This is the fruitfulness that makes the message of Christianity so attractive to the unsaved and causes them to want to know our God. Oh, I'm talking to you right now. Fruit is attractive to the world. And there already exists an appetite or hunger in their hearts for the kind of fruit that is the result of living for God. Amen. I know some of us don't have all that much fruit sometimes. Talking about fruit of the Spirit right now. You've heard me say, I've watched people, I've literally watched it, them drive up in the parking lot, hollering at each other in the car, thinking that car is hermetically sealed or something, and I can't hear what's going on as I'm sitting there in mine. And they get out of the car and all, oh, praise God. Hi. How are you, brother? Good to see you. Blessed. That's what I am. Highly favored. I'm serious. That's not attractive to unsaved people. They, they're, they're users and haters everywhere. They're superficial and self-serving people all around us. The world longs for real joy, not the temporary kind that comes on a Saturday night or the result of worldly pleasures that last only for a season. They're searching for real peace. You know what I'm talking about? They are weary with the stresses of life that exist in a fallen world. And when they see our inner calm in the midst of the storms of life, because trust me, even though you're a believer, you still live in a fallen world. You're going to go through some storms. I, I didn't say one thing about just because you're a child of God, you'll never go through a storm. You're going you're to go through some once in a while. But when you go through it, it's different when they do. Because they're crying, oh, Jesus, help me. God, did you forget about me? Lord, why me? And you're just as calm and full of, uh, uh, of contentment and joy, and they can't understand that. They long for that. They yearn for kindness to be shown to them, not this meanness that exists everywhere. And unfortunately, even in some churches, you know, you're going to hell. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know what? 
I mean, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for real kindness. They want to meet people who are real and who are faithful in a world where there is little integrity left. They've had enough fair-weather friends, and they've had enough opportunists come their way and pat them on the back while they were trying to steal from them. And you understand there's some folk out there, they look real good, but they'll sell their own grandmothers just for an opportunity to get ahead. They've been there. They've done all of that. They want reality now. And when they look at a child of God that has fruit in his life, he's blessed like nobody else. And oh, somebody help me right now. The word has made a difference in his life. And when they see the fruit of the spirit, that becomes attractive to them. And you need to know this. They hunger for that. They don't look for this plastic false stuff out there. I take issue with churches that believe they've got to compromise the Bible and to be able to win the world. You don't have to. they got enough of what they already have now. There's a difference in being a church member and being a child of God. Do we need to remember that? Hello. There's a difference in having a church and just having a crowd. And I'm trying to build a church by God's grace here if God will help me. Amen. You see, nobody's so dumb that they're going to stand up and say, well, times have changed. We're throwing away the Bible. Come join our church. We don't even use the Bible here anymore. The most calloused unbeliever will not go to a church like that. The most dedicated sinner is not going to walk in a church like that. But I tell you what, some preachers have become a little more shrewd and clever. Now they don't tell you they're not going to use the Bible. They just don't preach at all. Amen. And you need to be sure you're a part of a church where the Word of God is preached. And because this is what saves your life. And this is what will cause God's blessing and favor on your life. Amen. But just like people are not drawn to a church that don't even preach the Bible, guess what? They're not attracted to want to emulate or copy the life of someone whose personal testimony doesn't measure up to the teachings of Scripture in the very same way that when they build a new community of houses. Do you notice what the builder does? He builds what he calls a model house. Anybody out there listening to me? And they have open house, and you go visit the model house, and it's got every upgrade imaginable in it. And you're looking at that and saying, wow, I'd like to have one of these. What they don't do is when you get there, take you to a house that's leaning at a angle like this, like the leaning tower of Pisa, not pizza, Pisa you know, over in Italy, amen, and with the roof leaking and a disgruntled real estate agent saying nothing in this house works. They're not going to bring you to a house like that. They're going to bring you to a model house, and they're going to whet your appetite and show you what life could be like. You may not realize it, but God set this thing up and wants you to bear fruit because you're the model house that is showing the rest of the world what God's temple looks like. I know some of us don't come from that kind of a background or doctrine 
are teaching. Some of us think we got to be poor and struggle and, and barely get through life and get, you know what they say, reach the end of your rope and tie a knot and hang on, Jesus, come help me. Live a life like that. That doesn't bring him any glory any more than a leaking roof would bring somebody that's trying to sell you a home in the community they're building. I need you to resolve it in your mind once and for all. God created you to be blessed and God wants to bless your life. Amen. I contend that we were never supposed to out-argue or out-debate the world and thus persuade them by our intellect or our reasoning or our doctrine alone to become Christians. We were not supposed to get into arguments. You know the kind I'm talking about, right? Where you're co-calling, trying to, you're going to go to hell. You need to get right with God and all of that kind of stuff. Or how about this? You see some of this. Some Christians, they think they're a little bit more spiritual than anybody else. They've got the right doctrine. Yours is a little bit in error, but they are smart. They figured out the right doctrine. And so they go around debating other believers on doctrinal issues. Like, if I can get you converted to my way of doctrine, then you can be blessed. And, and that foolishness was not how God intended for people to be drawn into the kingdom of God. We weren't supposed to out-argue them. We were meant to outlive them. Amen. At be blessed more than them. They ought to look at you and say, honey, I don't know what's going on in that man's life, but we're going to follow him on Sunday and see where he's going to church. Amen. Because we're not getting what we need from where we're at. And they ought to be looking at your life and seeing fruit. In Galatians, Paul tells us that those who give themselves to the works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says that just before he goes on to describe the fruits of the Spirit that I'll be picking up next week. The word inherit, and trust me because I looked it up last night, and the Strong's Concordance literally means to get your share. Oh my. You don't get your share of the kingdom when you're out there and all of that works of the flesh stuff. What God is trying to say is, look, do you want to be blessed or not? This is the way to go. Choose this path and your life can be filled with fruit. Otherwise, you don't inherit your share. You don't get your part of the kingdom. And what happens then? You don't bear fruit and you cease to be a witness just like a leaky house is not very good advertisement for the contractor building the community. And so what I want to do as I'm closing is think that some, say that some people think that to be godly, You've got to struggle all your life. Not so. Jesus wants our lives to be abundantly fruitful. Because you carry within your blessing the seed that's going to make somebody else want to know him. Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb. You carry within the degree of favor that you manifest in your life the the very thing that the world is hungering for. They don't want to hear your arguments. They don't want to hear your judgment and condemnation. They want to see a life well lived, and they want to live a life like that themselves. The best testimony for Jesus Christ is Christians. The worst testimony 
for Jesus Christ is Christians. God help us open heaven over our lives this year. Help us to live the extraordinarily blessed life. And I think it's time we made a declaration and just went for it. This is my year. I shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Everything I do is going to be prospered. Everything I do is going to be blessed.